Merry Christmas. Well, if you would, would you grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 1. In fact, while we're doing that, if you could as well, if over here on your left side of the auditorium, there's a little red book there we call our Friendship Register. If you could pick that up and just uh, let us know you're here and just pass that all the way down to the end. And folks over here on the end, you just uh, set that down after you've completed Filling that out would be great. But Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin reading together in verse 5. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we want for you to have one in your hands because we are going to be spending our time in the scriptures this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, we're going to have some people walking around with a Bible and just grab their attention. Uh, they'll, uh, just, they'll let you borrow one. If you don't own a Bible, they'll let you have one. And uh, turn to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Here's what I'd like for us to do this morning. Could you just stand with me as we read together? We're going to begin by covering what we uh, read, what we went over last week. So we continue on with the story at this time of telling about the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. Let me begin in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there, inside the temple, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. Which, by the way, will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. 
And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went to his house. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat. So we talked about last week, Zechariah and Elizabeth were a couple that exemplified the reality that life is not about my story. Life is not about my glory. Life, in fact, is about God's story and his glory. God is not the the divine gumball machine, as we talked about last week, where we just go and put in our little efforts of work for him, and we do nice, kind deeds and so on, and we put our little quarters of effort in, and he shoots us out the the yummy-tasting colored gumball just the way we wanted. That's, That's not the way it works. And Zachariah and Elizabeth were the perfect example. This was a couple that loved God and followed God, but they had a life hurt, significant life hurt. But God in his sovereign work knew it all along. And in fact, God had allowed all of that to take place. God had allowed them to be childless for the purpose of his glory, even though they didn't know about it. Listen, a big God in control. Christmas is not just about one event in history. Christmas is about the redemptive plan of God from the very beginning of time to eternity future. And yet it is a culminating point, a key point in God's redemptive plan. And if we, as we talked last week, for 400 years between the Old Testament and New Testament, God had been silent. But it's his time. It's his time. And in the biblical timeline of things taking place, he's coming. He is coming. And that's good news. It's really, really good news. Well, let's continue in our text today. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was what? Joseph. His name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was what? Okay, excellent class. All right, here we go. Let's uh, start digging into this thing. First, I've got a map up here because there's some key pieces of information as the text sets the stage for us for our passage today. First, Elizabeth, remember her, had become pregnant. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And it's six months from then. You see in the beginning, it's six months since Elizabeth had become pregnant. One month since she kind of came out into public, if you will. Gabriel has been sent by God. Gabriel is a servant of God's. 
He's not some rogue angel that's out on his own doing his own thing. He is God's angel fitting God's timeline, fulfilling God's purposes as he has laid out. And where is he sent? To where? Okay, he's sent to Mary. What geographically? To Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is the, this upper portion here, that little body of water is the Sea of Galilee. Up in that area is, is from kind of there on up is the region of Galilee. Then you have this is kind of actually the region of Samaria in the middle. Down here is actually, and we'll keep in mind for later on, this becomes the region of Judah down here. Okay? So, Nazareth is the city that is circled. Now, Nazareth. Uh, the people from Judah, the people from down south, did not like the people up north. In fact, the Jews in the south disdained the Jews in the north. In great part because the Jews in the north and the Nazarenes in this area, they had ongoing contact with Gentiles. That's like people like me and you. And so they didn't like that. And so many of the people from Nazareth and this area by the Jews down south were viewed as not kosher kind of people. So he's sent to Nazareth and he's sent to Mary. Mary is a Jewess. She is a, a, a of the tribe of Judah, descendant of David, likely a teen. She's a virgin. She's very poor and she's engaged to a carpenter. Now, let me cover a couple things here about the engagement, because it's different than engagement than what we know of today. Our son just got engaged here a few, engaged a few weeks ago. Uh, it's different back then. Uh, it, it was normally what would take place is uh, the choosing of the bride, the groom, was usually left up to the family. Now, I kind of like that one, personally, and I'm all for bringing that back. Uh, not because my son chose poorly at all, but uh, just being a part. Anyway, I'm going to keep on going. The Old Testament customs varied, though, because in the Old Testament, you see some other things. And a lot of times we miss this. We oftentimes today, if you've grown up going to church, you usually hear this kind of thing that the family chooses and that there is always this, this thing, this gifting thing. It's a trade. Woman for animals. Okay, isn't that true? That's kind of how you grow up. Well, let me clarify a few things here because that's not really quite fully the case. In fact, when you look in the Old Testament, sometimes the woman's family choose the man. You see that with Naomi. You actually see that with Saul. Others, the groom made the selection and then prevailed upon the family to get her. It wasn't always a good situation like with Samson, but then there was no, uh, uh, Shechem was one as well. Sometimes a family caught, uh, gathered consent from the daughter. So ladies, it's not, it wasn't always like, you marry him, the girl's like, ugh. I mean, there were times in the scriptures where we truly see that it was actually they tried to get the consent of the daughter. Rebecca was an example of that. It wasn't just a business deal. We do see times in the Old Testament where there was romance involved in the process. And oftentimes, again, when I grew up going to Sunday school, I kind of got this idea that as I grew older, I would call it like a business contract deal. But that wasn't always the case with what was taking place. Well, engagement itself in the Bible differs considerably, considerably from today as well from the standpoint of this. The guy would go and he would make an oral uh, commitment in the presence of witnesses for this. I love that idea. And he added the pledge of money or some kind of gift 
to the process, in a written declaration in the process. It was an applied commitment nearly as binding as marriage itself. And in fact, if the groom died before they got married, they were called widow. The woman was called a widow. I mean, it was that significant. And if there was a situation where it was going to become, the marriage was going to be broken, the process was going through the process of a divorce in that period of time. Well, engagements would normally last uh, 12 months or under, and we see the stage set. In Nazareth, an angel comes to Mary. All right, ready? Verse 28. Here we go. Let's get at it. And he came to her, the angel, and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, he makes three statements here. And let me clarify, because there's some pretty cool things that are made in this statement. First, he says, Greetings. Now, when you and I think greetings, we just think like, Hey, hiya, that kind of thing. That's really not what's taking place here. Okay, because in this, the term that's used for greeting here, it was an imperative. It's a strong, emphatic statement. It's almost like if we could extend it out a little bit, Gabriel had come to her, come to Mary and said this, you must be glad. Uh, It's that kind of a way. I mean, there's Mary just doing her thing. And the angel shows up and says, you must be glad. You must rejoice. And it's like he's preparing her. He's telling her, listen, get pumped up, girl, because I got something really cool to talk to you about. And so that's what's behind the greetings. Then the second statement is he says, oh, favored one. Now, the term oh, favored one, a little English lesson here, and this isn't to like to show off Greek stuff here, but it is important to understand what's taking place. The verb here is talking about, it's called, or grammatically, it's a perfect passive verb. A perfect verb in the Greek means that an event happened in the past that has ongoing ramifications. Christ died. He died at one point in time, and it has ongoing ramifications. Karen and I got married at one point in time. On that day, we got married, and that has ongoing ramifications. That's the perfect verb. A passive verb means that it it is happening to me, an action that is happening upon me. I'm not doing it. It is happening to me. Why am I making a big deal out of this? I'm making a big deal out of this because what is being said here is that the angel comes and says, You must rejoice. Because favor has been put on you. Listen, God has placed favor on Mary. And understand this, in the form as this works out, it's not that Mary, it's not talking about like Mary is like some incredible God-like person. This is actually saying God is gracing upon you. In fact, let's go into the third statement there. Oh, favored one. And then the next statement that he talks about is the Lord is with you. It's again, we think that this is just a typical greeting. The angel came and said, hey, how are you doing today? I'm here. But the Lord is with you is used in the Old Testament multiple times. The specific term is you could go to Genesis 26, verse 24. It's used of Isaac. Genesis 28, verse 15, it's used of Jacob. Exodus 31, 12, it's used of Moses at the burning bush. When you go to Jeremiah 1.8, it's used of Jeremiah. Why do I bring this up? Because every time in the Old Testament that this kind of statement is brought up, it's being brought up addressing a person that in essence is saying, listen, um, 
I'm about to do something big with you. And if you put all this together, Gabriel comes and he says, you, you must rejoice because God has placed favor upon you. And God has something big for you. That, that's what's just being laid out here in this first statement. And we read it and we just lose some of that here. In essence, this is a big God moment. Okay? And Mary is being selected here. Now, as we go through this, I just want for you to watch. Because here's what I don't want to do. I do not want to God-eyes Mary. Because that happens today. It's almost like Mary is like the fourth person of the Trinity. And I want to tell you, as you look at this text, you don't see that. But I also don't want to do this. Mary is just like a nothing. Because, listen, God in his sovereign selection chose this young woman to do something really significant. On par with the kinds of things that God in his sovereignty chose Moses and Abraham and David and Daniel. Normal people that God in his sovereignty, they were available vessels for his use, and God used them in big ways. God used Mary in big ways, right? Okay? But let's not God-eyes her, because frankly, the scripture doesn't do that. And we'll see it here. And in fact, what we've already talked about, it's there already. And you're going to see some more of that, okay? Let's keep on going. That's verse 28. That's the greeting. Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Uh, Here, greatly troubled. She was confused. It has this sense of she's perplexed by Gabriel's statement, kind of like what's going on. And she's trying to discern. She's trying to consider. She's trying to ponder through. It's the sense of what it's like. I don't know quite what's going on here. And that's kind of why I loved that picture. You get that idea? She's kind of like, you know what? Hey, I'm going through life. And like an angel shows up. I don't know about you, that hasn't happened in my lifetime. And for her, here's this teen, Gabriel shows up. And by the way, when you look at the scriptures and you see people who come in contact with the presence, if you will, of God, they fall on their face in fear. And this is taking place here with Mary. Mary's not like, well, it's about time. I mean, I've been doing all this stuff all my life, being just so righteous, and it's about time. In fact, in there, the the text is telling us that she's just like, I don't know what's going on here, and I'm kind of scared. I just cannot imagine this teen going through this. Verse 30. And we're going to see four statements here that Gabriel makes of great news. Uh, Verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Isn't that cool? Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Four things. First, 
The angel says, don't be afraid. Now, if you look across in your Bible, at least on my page, you, you look over and where is it? Um, yeah, verse 13, but the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid. I mean, just how comforting here. This is good news. This isn't a harsh judgment. So Mary, listen to me, Mary, breathe. Because I've got something Something you haven't been expecting. And something big. It's all right. It's all right. It's okay. Second, he says, you have found favor. Now, in this found, it is talking not about she earned something. It is talking about something has been discovered. Something unknown has showed up. It's, it, it, it's, it's talking about an unexpected coming upon it. It's not like she was going around and bam, it happened. But it discovered. In other words, it showed up. She found favor. The word here for favor fits with the Greek word for grace. And in here, it's, it could be translated as well, an attractiveness. In other words, you have found an attractiveness not because of who you are, but not because in your own eyes, in essence, but because from God's perspective. I love it. In essence here, this is kind of where some of the balance comes out here. She was a young Jewish of her day, seeking to be what God would want her to be. And God looks down and sees Mary and says, Mary, you are an attractive person to me. And God lays his grace out and uses her. And it just makes me think, it just makes me picture for you and I, as Zachariah and Mary, usable vessels in the process of being used by God. Are we that way? Are we living in the kind of way where God would look and go, attractive, 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 not earning, but usable, available vessels for use in God's plan as God wants to have done. So second, you have found favor with God. Third, you will conceive. She's going to become pregnant. It's a future tense here. Fourth, she is going to give birth. And you may go, well, duh. Well, no. And some of you know of this. You may conceive and not give birth. But the angel says here that you will conceive and you will give birth. And in fact, he then tells six specific things about this, birth, about this birth. First, she's going to give birth to a boy. Not a girl. Not an alien. And not some of God-like being. And I'm dead serious about that. She's giving birth to a human boy. Then you will name him Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. Is what it means. I mean, could you, could you imagine that? Everywhere he's at, everywhere he's going, and people call it, it's, it's like going, Hey, Jehovah, Jehovah is salvation. Uh, just a great reminder. Hey, Jehovah is salvation, come here. Um, interesting, different issue. But his name is Jesus. Third, I thought it was cool. Third, it will be great. Now, the great here is really talking about his positioning before people. In other words, what Gabriel is saying here is, listen, Mary, you're going to have a son. Your son is going to have the name Jesus. And as it goes before people, your son is going to be great among all people. But it doesn't stop there. 
he will be called forth the son of the most high. Now, if you are here for when we went through the series in Mark, we talked about this term son. And we talked about how it terms uses the, the, the relation of son of God. This is not talking about birth order. This is one of the things that has led to, led to bad, bad, bad theology because of wrong English understanding. The term here for son is not birth order. It's not daddy, son, grandson, that kind of a thing. It's not, you know, uh, superior, inferior, or more mature, less mature. The term here that this is referring to is equality. It's the same as. It's the equivalent of. In other words, just in this one little statement, I'm telling you, we get a whole theology of who Jesus is here. In Gabriel's statement of telling that you're going to have a baby. We're told that he's going to be all man. He's going to be a man. He's going to be all man. That as long as, as well, he's going to be a great man. But now we get into the divinity reality. He's going to be a great man. And he's equivalent to God. He is God. The second person of the Trinity. You will be called the son of the most high. Fifth, God will give him David's throne. He's going to be a reigning king. And then sixth of the things that he tells about this birth is going to be that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, here's how some theologians sum this up. This passage tells us of the humanity of Christ. It tells us of the divinity of Christ. It tells us of the kingship of Christ. And it tells us of the messiahship of Christ. All in this proclamation, finding out that Mary's going to have a baby. And I just want to tell you, listen, I remember, I think when it was maybe about two, three years ago, we were down at the Yuletide, was it? Or maybe somewhere around there, we're down there. And my favorite, we haven't sung it yet. Sorry, Nick. A holy night, and we're down there at the Yuletide, down in the circle in the thing, and they're singing. There's this uh, soprano lady singing, and man, could she sing it? And it was, oh, holy night, and it's like, fall on your knees. And I'm like, everybody around here, do we get it? I mean, it was one of those moments I'm like, Jesus, right now, come. (laughs) This is the moment. And I'm serious, as in Christmas time, we think baby Jesus and so how cool and God and all this neat little story. But listen to me. In the declaration of who, of when Mary is going to have a child, God makes it very plain all about this child. This is God in the flesh, the Savior of the sins of the world. And not just a regular guy. Well, Mary has something to say. Let's see what Mary has to say. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Now, if I were Mary, I'd kind of be thinking that. And she says, how would this be since I am a virgin? Now, Mary has a question of how. I want for, do you remember last week, those of you who were here, Zechariah, in fact, look over at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And then a little bit later, when Gabriel addresses him in verse 20, it says, you did not believe my words. Now, is Mary doing the same thing here? Answer, no. Zechariah questioned the promise and the process. Mary believed the promise just wondered how this is going to happen because she has never had sexual intimacy before. 
In fact, let's go over to verse 45. Just for clarification. And here it says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken. Listen, Mary was there and she's like, Okay. But I'm not married. And I have not had sexual intimacy. Can you help me out? And Gabriel helps her out. Mary has a question, and Gabriel is going to give some evidences to fulfill the evidences of the fulfillment of this. Okay, now if you're Mary, you're sitting there going, "How's this going to happen?" And the angel goes, "Let me tell you." So I'm going to sit back and go, "Okay, tell me." So here we go, verse 35. And the angel answered her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God." A couple things here. Verse 35, it talks about how the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The term is is referring to, it's going to come along, it's going to appear. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is going to show up. Mary, the Spirit of God is going to show up. And then it says, he will overshadow you. This is just like casting a shadow. In other words, his power will fall upon you. The Holy Spirit, Mary, is going to show up and his creation capabilities, it's going to be a divine conception. God is going to make it happen. And you don't have to have sexual intimacy because God is going to make this happen. So he makes it very clear with one, with the words of Gabriel. Second, here we get this idea in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has uh, called barren. So in this process, the angel says, listen, God's going to take care of the pregnancy part. Oh, and by the way, Elizabeth, your relative, you know, the older one, the one who's past the age of really being able to have children. I just want for you to know this. God's given her a child. And Mary's got to be like, okay, you're taking care of that. Okay, you're taking care of that. And then third, he also says here, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Listen, Mary, you be available. We'll take care of the rest. And it just makes me sit back and go, listen, folks, is that us? Is that me? Yeah, but Doug, I'm not going to give birth to the Messiah of the world. Absolutely, no one in here will. No one ever will. So if you have like someone who stands on your, uh, your, your, your patio and says, hi, I'm Jesus, um, that's not the situation. But here in it, listen, we are part of God's redemptive plans. And God wants to use me and you to fulfill his story and his glory. And am I the kind of person who has come to a place in my life where I have received Jesus Christ as my Savior, been forgiven of my sins, and then made available to him to use? Or, in fact, is my life right now about my story and about my glory? And if it is, we've got to change. Because that's not the way God's laid it out here. Well, let's keep going. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Comment. What's her fiancé going to say? 
What's her friends going to say? What are her parents going to say? What's the whole city going to say? Listen, Mary's not sitting there like some airhead. She's like, okay, God, whatever. She knows exactly what's taking place. She understands far better than we do the ramifications of what's about to happen to her. Listen, for the rest of her life, she is going to be known as the woman who got pregnant before she was married. And in those days, that was a really bad thing. And in fact, people were stoned to death for it. All her life. I was telling Karen in the car the other day, we were talking about this passage, and I just rabbit trail just for a moment. This is one of the times I, I, I thought about this through, and I thought, you know, I wonder if when Jesus went back to Nazareth, and they wanted to stone him, push him off the cliff. I wonder if they were thinking back. Yeah, this is the guy born of the harlot. His mom was a kind of a slutty woman before she got married. Listen, that's what the community is saying. That's what they're going to say. And yet Mary, knowing all this, says, I am your servant. Let it be. And man, don't you and I sometimes we're just like, God, you know what? Here's my plan. Please follow it. And in fact, would you sign right here how you want it to be done? No. This is God's story, and I'm here for his glory. And if God wants to paralyze me, if God wants to to take my wife, oh, please no. If God wants to do whatever... Bring it on. But man, I'm telling you, when I say that, I'm like, I kind of don't want that. And we struggle with that, don't we? And yet here's this precious teen, a teenager who gets it. And she's like, pretty cool. Got to keep moving. The words of Gabriel have uh, given her great sense of what's going on. Next, uh, evidences of the fulfillment uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we're going to kind of buzz through this, but just catch the story. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went to haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Judah, it, by the way, there they are. Judah is down here in this area. And Mary goes about 70 miles from Nazareth down here to Judah. Judah's actually just right off the map, about 70 miles. By the way, in that day and age, a young lady traveling by herself, eh, eh. Uh, so that I hit it right now, I don't forget later, imagine. We're going to find out she's gone for three months. Imagine, she finds out what's taking place in her life. She hightails it out of town. She's gone for three months. She comes back, and she's pregnant. Oh, there's a gossip mill. Like, what in the world was going on down here? I'm telling you, and bless her heart. Mm. Her faithfulness. Uh, Verse 40, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Hey, Zachariah. Hey, Elizabeth. I'm here. Did they know? I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't know. They didn't have email or Facebook back then. I'm pretty sure they didn't have Facebook back then. 
Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now, how many months pregnant is Elizabeth? Right around six months. Women who have been pregnant six months, put yourself there. And the baby leaped in her womb. By the way, just not rolled over, not just moved, not just bumped, leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? Verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. He listened. The work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, one of the key works of the Holy Spirit is knowledge of understanding of divine truth. Hey, listen, there are people who have read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible and read the Bible. And they've heard it and they've heard it and heard it. And maybe some of you in here are this way. And then one day it just clicked. Listen, that is the work of the spirit of God in a person. To come to understand this isn't just about religious fruity tooty, hocus pocus, spirituality, la 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 la. This is about a God who created all things, has a redemptive plan, and moving toward the culmination of his redemptive plan. And I can be a part of it. Yet all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody does not start out in a relationship with God. In fact, everybody starts out not in a relationship with God. But because of Christ, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And this is the process that's taking place here. And in this whole look at all the things that Elizabeth knew that Mary didn't tell her. Let me just sum them up. She learned that Mary was a blessed woman among all women. Not just a blessed woman, but you're a blessed woman among all women. And then next, you're going to have a child. We don't see Mary saying anything about that. And then next she says, you're going to have the mother of my Lord. Literally, as Elizabeth is talking with Mary, Elizabeth is understanding the Messiah is right there in your womb. In fact, the Holy of Holies is right there. The presence of God. And Elizabeth gets it without even having been told. Who would tell her that? How could she know that? The Spirit of God. And that Mary believed that it would happen. She knew that Mary believed that this would happen. By the way, I think Elizabeth could kind of understand some of that process. From her own situation. And she and finally that the news spoken to Mary was from the Lord. I mean, Mary's just got to come in. Hi. And then. (laughs) And that's like, you know. I'm just thinking if I'm Mary, what reassurance. God's gone before me. God's working this all out. And for Elizabeth. How delightful. Five months hidden. And then she comes down. And then Mary comes. And it's like, we're a ministry team. You and I. A ministry team like none other. And Zachariah's over in the corner going. (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't want to go there, guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, there have been words of great news. There have been evidences of fulfillment. And finally, let's just kind of finish off with this. There's been a responses of personal praise. And the first one is just from Elizabeth that we've already read here. I mean, you just see Elizabeth saying, good news. Good news. And she speaks it verbally and she cries it out. The word there is talking about. She's not like, oh. it's like, uh, Mary, you, that kind of, I mean, just declaring it and just praising what God has done. And then it finishes off with the praise of Mary. The Magnificat here is, is it's sometimes termed. Let's just read through this. And Mary said, and notice she's going to point to three different groups of people. First herself, then other people or generations and generations, and then finally to Israel. And let's just kind of read this and absorb this in. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Hey, if you come from a background that understands the immaculate conception, which is not a biblical principle, by the way, and the other things going on, Mary says here, refers to her child as her Savior. That means that Mary is just an available tool in God's hands to be used for his purposes, not to be worshipped, but be, to be admired and to be honored properly. But it's all about his story. Okay? Uh, my spirit rejoices in my Savior. Verse 48, For he has looked upon the humble estate of, my, of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. He who has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. And then she focuses on Israel. He, God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Verse 56. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and returned home. Did she stay along and see the birth of John? I don't know. It would have been very close to the time of the birth. Or she may have left just to kind of get out of the way of what was about to take place in the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're going to find all that next Sunday. Let me just do this. Let me make a final reminder of two things. Number one, this is about God's story. This is not about my story. This is not about your story. This is about God's story of redemptive plan. Let's keep the reality. Let's rejoice. Let's savor it. Let's love it. Let's, let's just enjoy it. This is the time of the year where the world does 
focus, even in all this little muck-muck stuff going on on there, and what you can and can't say, listen, this is about Jesus. And it's a great time for us to be reminded about that. So, Merry Christmas! <laughs> okay? No problem there, folks, with that. Okay? But also, I just want to refer to this. So far, we've had three individuals approached with words of invitation to be participants in God's redemptive plan in some very special ways. They were available tools. And I have to ask, am I? Are you? Do you see yourself as an available tool for God? And, and, and these three individuals, this wasn't about some uh, fairy tale, hocus pocus, spiritualistic, uh, mumbo jumbo kind of spiritualism woo, going on. There was evidence words behind this. When God said, Elizabeth, you're going to get pregnant, she was pregnant. She became pregnant. When, when Mary was told that she's going to become pregnant, even though she had no sexual intercourse with, with a man, she became pregnant. And for us, I just want to tell you, this is the word of God. It's been evidenced and proved over history. It's been evidenced and proved by what it says. And it's been evidenced and proved out by the people in the lives that it has changed. And this is our source of authority. This is the truth for life. And this is how I'm to view myself and view life. And they each responded for God's great purposes. Listen, God wants to do great things through us. We're not going to give birth to the forerunner of the Messiah. We're not going to give birth to the Messiah. But listen to me. God wants to use you and I for his glory and for his story. And we get the opportunity to do that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the chance just to be able to come and savor the words of the coming of Christ. Lord Jesus, we are so honored to be able to be in your word, to have your word, just to be able to dig into it and study it and observe it and read it and think about it and ponder it. And Lord, I thank you so much that your word is written to tell us about the stories of real people who experienced real situations in life for your glory. And Father, I think of maybe someone in here today, maybe there's relationship trials going on. Maybe there's physical trials going on or financial trials going on or other things going on. God, I pray for them right now that they would be the kind of people that look at this and would come to understand that you are so big you want to use the situation for your glory. And I pray they would respond like Mary and that they would go, God, I am your servant Help me. Let it be. And I will pursue ahead in biblical uh, uh, processes, with biblical thinking and with biblical actions. And I'm not going to live it my way. I'm going to live it your way. Lord, if they need help, God, I pray you would give them the guts to ask for help. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as your Savior, they know the story of you. But there has not been a time in their life where they can look back and go, that is the point in time in my life where I put the knowledge into a confirming statement before you that I receive Christ as my Savior. 
And Lord, if there's someone today that that hasn't happened, Father, I pray they'd be doing that right now, that they grab someone after the service and just help to explain that with them. Because Lord, this is about your story. And for those that have done that, Father, would we be the kind of people who are just here? We're here, God. We're here. You know that. But we want to just open ourselves up and be available to you. God, we want to change and grow and be used by you for you. Thanks, God, for this season of life, for this season of the year, that we can be able to worship the Savior in a very special way. To you be the glory in all things. In Christ's name, amen.